I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. On your mark. Get set. Welcome to now playing Fast and Furious Retrospective Series. It's gonna be an all time of the night. Bet you're gonna enjoy this. Hosted by Arnie. Look, man, I don't just think outside the box. I tear it up. It's my thing. Stuart. You're the last person in the world I expected to show up. And Jacob. Like it or not, you and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got family. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and incentive to drive beyond the posted speed limit. I'm going to enjoy whatever Listener discretion is advised. Only live once. Let's do it. Talking over race. Today we're discussing Fast and Furious 6, starring Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, kind of, <laughs> Tyrese Gibson, Chris Luda, Chris Bridges, Soon Kang, Luke Evans, Gina Carano, John Ortiz, directed by Justin Lin. It's Arnie, bitches, co-host of Now Playing. Stewart in L.A. And this is the host who's been told he's got some serious balls. Jacob. So Fast and Furious 6 or just Furious 6, your guys are kind of lucky we're not discussing Furious 7 yet. It turns out this movie we're reviewing tonight, Justin Lin had planned this was going to be the last in his series. But Universal wanted not one, but two pictures. They were going to take this plot, make it two movies. The sixth in the franchise would just be called The Fast, and the seventh would be called The Furious. Oh my god. You're saying that they would stretch what I just watched into two separate films? Yes. I would be furious! (laughs) I will say, regardless of how I'm going to go with this one, I don't see how it could be stretched. It's already stretched. Yeah, I mean, the elastic is snapping on this. (laughs) So, Justin Lin in pre-production decided that it could be one film after all. And so we got the one film we did, Justin Lin's last in the series. I had thought he left actually after this because Universal wanted another one so quickly, but all the materials on the Blu-ray, he knew this was his last one and he wanted to pull out all the stops, but he wanted to call this Furious 6. The marketing department didn't think anyone would know what it was, I guess. I guess if you put Vin Diesel, The Rock, and Paul Walker on a poster, they're not going to get it. Uh, there was a time when people were afraid calling something Dark Knight, no one would know it was Batman. I, you change it up and you worry about people not paying attention. I, I get it, sure. But then again, this whole franchise looks nothing like where it began, so... <laughs> Which is a good thing, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I am can side with that. I, it seems to me that, yeah, by taking away the thes and just calling it Fast and Furious, they've made the fourth, fifth, and sixth one feel in sync. Yeah, and so that's what this was going to be. They had Fast Five. The versions I saw, the Blu-ray, just said Furious 6 at the top. 
Yeah, that's what mine said. I was confused when you said Fast and Furious 6, because I just got a Furious 6 disc. But my box said Fast and Furious 6. It was released as Fast and Furious 6 in America anyway, but we can make it shorter if you like. But it may only be one movie. There were two cuts, like with Fast 5. There's Justin Lin's cut, which MPAA was saying was a little too intense for a PG-13. We have done a lot of movies for now playing, coming up on our 500th review. In all those reviews, I have done a huge amount of listening to bonus features, and especially on PG-13 features, listening to directors say why they were getting an R rating. Never in the history of any bonus feature I've ever heard did I hear what Justin Lin said. The sound mix was too brutal. (laughs) We had to tone down the crunches and the thuds of the punches to get a PG-13. So there is a different sound mix that is more gruesome in the uh, director's cut. If sound mixes could get you an R rated, I, does that make Nolan's film like triple X? <laughs> maybe if you could understand what they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> Telling maybe Bane is just saying the aristocrats. <laughs> but there's a couple extra scenes. But yeah, it is a bit more violent. I have seen both versions and I couldn't tell much difference. Do you guys even know which ones you watched? I watched the one that was on the disc that I put in my machine, and I it didn't have any option to watch anything else, so it was the commercially released DVD. It was yellow. Uh, if it was the DVD, you got to see theatrical with the less violent sound. Okay, that's what I saw then. I just got it from Netflix. The unrated was only available on blue. Was it shorter in any way? It was, you know, about 59 seconds longer in the director's cuts. It's almost identical. A few lines here and there. I mean, if you go to moviecensorship.com, which helps me out, it's literally, there is one additional frame in this scene, there are four (laughs) additional frames in this scene, there is one additional line in that scene, there are no subplots restored in the director's cut. Oh, I just thought maybe Brian was in the cut you saw. (laughs) Or Mia, for that matter. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Arnie, why don't we get into it? After the heist in Rio, Dominic Turturro, played again by Vin Diesel, and his crew have spread to the four corners of the world to live large and escape extradition by the U.S. government for their crimes. Dom is living in Spain with new girlfriend Elena, as well as his sister Mia, Jordana Brewster returning, and Mia's baby daddy, Brian, Paul Walker. Meanwhile, Soon Kang's character of Han and Gal Gadot's character of Giselle are hiding out in Hong Kong. Tyrese Gibson's character Roman is jet-setting with a bunch of hot women, and Ludacris's character Tej is playing Robin Hood in Latin countries, spewing money out of ATMs for the poor. So what could bring this Motley crew back together? Surprisingly, it's U.S. agent Hobbs, played again by The Rock. Hobbs, along with his new partner Riley, Gina Carano, is investigating an international criminal Owen Shaw, played by The Hobbit's Bard the Bowman, Luke Evans with a very similar-looking mustache. Shaw has a crew that is assembling a nightshade device, which is a MacGuffin that doesn't have any fucking impact on anything. (laughs) At least it's not a snook. (laughs) Yeah, at least they fired the snook. (laughs) We'll talk very little about the nightshade as we go on. But he's going after it for some reason that'll get him, like, billions of dollars, and Hobbs wants to catch him and stop him. But Hobbs doesn't think he's good enough to capture Shaw. Because if there's one thing about Hobbs, he's humble. (laughs) So as he tells Riley, to catch wolves, you need wolves. So he goes to Dom and offers Dom and his crew pardons if they help capture Shaw. 
And to make it personal, Hobbs reveals that one of Shaw's crew is Letty, Dom's girlfriend, played by Michelle Rodriguez, who seemingly died back in part four. <laughs> Stewart stifles his laughter. This plot. I'll continue. Oh, this pitiful plot. The Fast and the Restless, the Young and the Furious. So Dom assembles the crew and they head to London to go after Shaw and discover Shaw has ties to Baraga, the drug lord Brian and Dom brought down in part four. I told you it all matters. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I had no clue who half the people in this movie were before the retrospective when I saw this in theaters. So Brian goes back to the States and poses as a criminal to go to jail and confront Braga where he discovers Letty survived a car explosion, but had amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> Did they know that she wasn't dead? Like, it blew her back? I, I Okay, we'll get into it, I guess. And so Shaw put Letty in his crew. So Dom races Letty in London, and then she has a moment where she reveals she doesn't remember him. And then they follow Shaw to Spain, where he's trying to steal a computer chip that no one cares about. He has a tank. That's what's cool. <laughs> God. Finally. <laughs> Jacob can finally talk about the tank a little later. Also, Shaw betrays Letty, but Shaw is stopped by Dom and the crew and arrested. And that's where credits could roll. Mm. But we're going to get a second climax. As a backup, Shaw had Mia kidnapped and demands the chip and his release, or he'll have her killed. So Shaw is let go by Hobbs, only to be chased down on an airport runway by the group. The longest one in the world. It's <laughs> Just, seriously, it's like about three days long. <laughs> Maybe it's like the race in part one. It was really just 10 seconds. Giselle dies in the action, Mia is rescued, and the plane crashes, killing Shaw and his men. But now with full pardons, the crew returns to Dom's L.A. home for a cookout. Despite not remembering their history, Letty is now Dom's girlfriend, leaving Elena to go back to law enforcement. <laughs> and the family has a last supper before again scattering. Because Han, mourning Giselle, is going to Tokyo, where they always said they'd go together. And there the events of Tokyo Drift finally take place! <laughs> Yep. And in the end credits, we see that race from Tokyo Drift with Han fleeing when he's killed by running a red light. And we'll talk about what we find out in that scene as the rest of credits roll. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I see why they had two movies here. There is like two movies worth of plot summary in what I just read. I'm not going to say the movie does it all justice. We had some derisive laughter throughout the plot summary, but... I guess we'll go through it plot point by plot point to discuss what does and doesn't work for us. I'll say what works for me, though, is the very opening where I think this is actually just a continuation of the last movie. When Fast Five ended, it was like Rocky Three, and Brian's like, nobody's got to know but us. Who's faster? Let's race. And they sped off to some CGI montage, and I'm like, what a great ending. It's just like Rocky and when they pick up here and those two are racing, I think we are just continuing. Like, it's one big thing. But it turns out, fooled me, they aren't racing that race. They're racing to the birth of Brian's baby. Extremely reckless uh, behavior when you're <laughs> going to become a father. Yeah, it, it very much is like Rocky. We get a montage at the beginning here of the first, well, one, two... Four and five. I guess we'll get to three later. But yeah, we get into this race. They fooled me, I guess. I did think this was just them racing. They're always trying to, you know, measure to see whose dick is the biggest. Who could finally, can Brian finally win this race? But no, they're going to the hospital. 
Now, and I have to ask, are they going to obey traffic signs now? Are they going to put like a baby seat in the back and like be safe? Baby on board, maybe put that on the back of Toretto's car. That would be hysterical to have that in Furious 7, a baby on board sticker. I'd like to see these guys think about the little life they have in the back. It's fine if they want to kill themselves going at 140 miles an hour, but come on now. This should be a, a moment of pause, right? Reflection. The family is getting bigger, and they're in paradise. They should be not needing to go very fast at all. They have all the money that they need. There's nothing to do, right, except soak up the sun. No, but instead they're arguing, is this baby, is he going to drive muscle cars or is he going to drive Japanese imports? They're just raising another reckless driver here. <laughs> i fine with this. I like that Vin Diesel gives this speech before Brian goes into the berth. When you walk through that door, everything changes. So does that mean Brian could not walk through the door? He's still going to be a father. I mean, it's not actually the act of walking through the door that matters. I think it's the act of a baby coming out of a vagina that changes everything. And I think everyone knows that children will defy and, and disobey whatever you set for them. It's part of the aging process. You know, this kid's going to grow up like riding a bicycle or an electric car or something or or be like about gas preservation. And yeah, I, I, I just think that these guys really don't know what they're talking about. Dom is acting like he knows what he's talking about, but he doesn't have a kid. Nobody knows what they're in for by bringing a baby into this franchise. Unfortunately, Jordana Brewster should figure it out when she reads the script. What it means is she just becomes a stay-at-home babysitter with no part of the plot. <laughs> she doesn't even get a babysit the kid. I mean, I think Elena's going to spend more time with this baby than Mia is by the end of it. Yeah, this is so Ocean's 13 when Brian and Dom are like, this isn't about the ladies. We're going to leave the ladies at home and go have an adventure. Yeah, Elena is the most understanding girlfriend ever. She's going to find out. Hobbs is going to come and say, hey, you're going to beg me for this mission because Letty is still alive. And Elena's like, well, if it was my husband, I totally ditch you. So I get it. Like, most understanding girlfriend ever. And Elena, she was the one good cop last movie, lest we forget the movie we only watched a week ago. She was one good cop who was Hobbs' partner, right? So Hobbs shows up in Spain. What does Elena do? She cocks a gun at him. I'm like, wow, she took a hell of a turn in that movie. Something about... She, she got like 10 million bucks. She's living <laughs> the high life now. Which she's going to walk away from by the end of this movie and insist that she was always married to her dead husband and is fine with losing Dom. Yeah, let's just not talk about the women because to talk about the women is to talk about how bad the script is you know what i'll actually go with the elena dom thing that they were together in their sorrow over their lost loved ones the true loves of their lives both were dead and she understands that she'll have to be alone with her suffering she's hot and she almost shows nipple in this movie she doesn't have to be alone if she doesn't want to be basically she moved to the canary islands i think i mean she left a continent i do think that she was invested at some point <laughs> but with very little pushback once she learns what they're finding out here that letty is alive she's like oh okay i totally understand maybe she has a good prenup i don't think anybody's married here i don't think there's a single spouse i think they're all living in sin and baby daddies and all that but i do remember seeing this in theaters with marjorie and at the end of the movie marjorie just walks out going elena got fucking screwed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Hobbs shows up because of Shaw, and we're supposed to think, and I certainly thought from the way Fast Five ended with that stinger, all he wants 
is Dominic. He's like, if it doesn't involve Toretto, I don't care. And now when we start this movie, we're supposed to think he has Toretto. He walks in and there's another bald, muscular guy in a white t-shirt, but it's one of Shaw's henchmen. And this is the new baddie, Owen Shaw. He's in Moscow. What jurisdiction does he have to, like, go to a country that absolutely would not want an American presence policing them? Hobbs, he's, he's, I don't even know if, like, this is a thing that exists, but he he is some, like, international FBI cop or something. (laughs) They dropped it into the last film. I don't know if it's a thing, though. It's real. It's DSS. It's Diplomat Security Services, which to me means that he's the bodyguard for ambassadors and heads of state and such. And, you know, okay, you go internationally, but you go at the behest of whoever's hiring you. It's absurd. Again, I'm going to be doing this a lot. I'm throwing up my hands and just going, all right, this doesn't make any sense. Yes, this film is absurd. I feel like finally here is a film that is going to own its absurdity. Like, we have seen harpoons. We've seen EMP harpoons. We're going to see Nos harpoons in this film. This franchise loves harpoons. But like this one, I feel like just owns how silly all of this is. Like we're going to get microchips that can control cars. This whole plot is about getting some microchip to build some big, I don't know, thing that's going to turn off the power. (laughs) That never goes off. I'm sorry. If you're building a super weapon, you fire the super weapon in a movie. (laughs) That's this part they didn't film, Arnie. And and mercifully, they didn't. Yes, we would have had to wait for all three parts to assemble. Maybe that's three different movies. But I guess the stinger from the last one said Berlin got robbed. Here at the beginning, it's Moscow. And then the final part i don't know why the pieces are so spread out i guess it makes it more fun to travel but they have to go to spain for this so all right hobbs is involved for some reason on making sure these three separate parts two of which have already been apprehended don't fall into the hands of an arms dealer and he believes that the only people that can help him stop this are the people that he'd like to put behind bars. It's Armageddon, right? I mean, this is the plot right out of Armageddon. You have to find the Motley crew who are the only ones who can do the job, and they're going to make ridiculous demands, either never pay taxes again or complete pardons. (laughs) Yes, we get the Motley crew like Armageddon. When they're making demands, though, in Armageddon, it's funny. They have funny lines. Here, oh, we want Letty in a pardon. I just don't feel like there is the wit here. I do feel certain performances... Have improved. Tyrese Gibson, I trashed that dude in part two. I am laughing now when he's asking which coin is a dollar and trying to get something out of that vending machine. <laughs> That's legit laughing along with him. He's got his timing down. <laughs> that was his Jar Jar Binks moment. They're like trying to give us the plot and he will not shut up about candy. I love when Hobbs shoots the vending machine and says it's on the house. That's my favorite moment of that scene. And they go back to that vending machine. He keeps picking things out of it. He's stealing from Soon Kang is what Tyrese is doing. He's like, Soon Kang is great in these movies and he's always eating i'm gonna eat (laughs) yeah there's a lot going on here to bring them back yet we don't get everybody back together leo and santos (laughs) good i could never remember them anyway they're not needed i feel like they were disrespected quite frankly the only thing that they were ever good for was to go into some toilets and dig a hole (laughs) and now that we don't need to do that kind of dirty work let's throw these non-stars away it's very disrespectful but what can i say You don't think this movie's stuffed chock full enough and maybe they were just cutting the least important characters? I had said in Oceans 12 and 13, don't bring back the ones you don't need. I think they could have cut a little deeper in this film. 
I, well, I love it because when they first come to Dom in the Canary Islands, he's like, I'm in this to do it alone. And Hobbs is like, no, no, man, you don't have the box office clout. It's, it's got to be everybody. <laughs> but yeah, it could have been. It could have just been Vin and Paul Walker on their own with a new crew. They did not have to reassemble everyone from the last movie. But Stuart, they're family. <laughs> I do feel like this movie verges into Tyler Perry Medea territory with all its talk about family. Like, I could not believe, like, Pee-wee's Playhouse, Today's Secret Word is family. You're going to yell a lot during this film. Yeah, I I did yell a lot during this film and and at this film. But yeah, come on. Here was a chance to start anew with a new crew, a new adventure, a new plot. I mean, you're going to some crazy idea of, of now making Vin Diesel and Paul Walker James Bond. They're now spies. And to say that we're going to bring everyone else along, too, and that they're all spies, that the fate of the fucking free world is going to be Tyrese Gibson? <laughs> and Ludacris. Ludacris's cue is amazing. It is outlandish beyond anything I can swallow. I am gagging already. I'm hating this setup. Not to take away from your guys's fun laughing with or at the movie but i do have to ask at this time has any franchise in the history of cinema transformed as dramatically as the fast and the furious where it starts off i mean they shaw even says it to dom at one point you started off stealing dvd players in los angeles (laughs) and became an international millionaire has any franchise become this distant from its origins. I respect that about Lynn. Lynn recognized that you couldn't just have, you could, but it wouldn't be very interesting to have street racing and petty crime film after film after film. You had to keep upping the stakes, bringing an international vibe. These are all the good things that he brought with that last Fast Five, but they always made it about these people having skills for the job. They were going to do one more heist. They told us they had the skills to do it, fine. But now Hobbs, yeah, a man who needed no help in tracking them down, is powerless to stop this mercenary team without assembling this entire crew. I mean, it makes Hobbs look stupid. Oh, come on, that we'll get to the mercenaries, but they drive F1 racers, like which is amazing. But again, I feel like this film has finally accepted what this franchise is. I agree. You you might be able to get one good movie about street racing. You couldn't get six good films. Yeah, they got one. It was the original. Okay, in your opinion, or the third one, (laughs) in Stewart's opinion. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like this has gotten crazy, and, like, I'm finally able to just fully accept how crazy these films are going to be. It's so far removed now. Yeah, we're, I don't know, James Bond, international spies, elite forces. I don't know what this film is, but I like this crew. I, I still like Han and how he's sitting around eating. I like that they trimmed a couple of the members out. The only female we have now is Giselle, but... I don't know how much of those other females ever did much in these films. And we have a new female in addition to all of that with Riley, who is Hobbs' partner. So there's still estrogen around. But I agree with you, Jacob. I like this crew. Stuart, you said they could have brought in somebody new. They could have. I don't know that I would have liked them as much as I like Ludacris as Tej when he comes in. I'm now finally buying him as the techie. Oh, <laughs> finally some real equipment I can work with. And 
Tyrese. I love Tyrese in this movie as well. I mean, I'm so with you, Artie, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Like, Tyrese is a sincere, legit highlight for me in this film. Wow. I couldn't stand him in part two. I liked him in part five. I love what they've done with his character with the It's Roman Bitches on the tail of his airplane. Like, he is just right there. And my favorite one, which really worries me for Furious 7, Soong Kang is Han. I've liked Han since part three. Getting the people back together again, they may not be my family, but I'm happy to see them again. This is my crew. And Giselle, yeah, I don't know if she's a good Wonder Woman or not, but I like what she brings to her relationship with Han. It at least gives them a mild subplot that they can devote five minutes of this two-hour and ten-minute movie to. Roman says it himself. 007-type shit is not what we do, and I couldn't agree more. No truer words are spoken in this terrible film. They say this is ridiculous. I'm sure you would agree with that, too. It is. There were some moments. At one point, at the end, when they get the chip, Dom goes, so this is worth billions, huh? And I'm like, yeah, this franchise is worth billions? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all had that moment, right? Where it's like, are they poking fun at themselves? Do they realize what they're saying? With this one, I think they do. I think there is a sense of humor where they realize, like, how far removed this is from what it was originally. And I think they're having some fun here with what a Fast and Furious film has become and from what it is. Just like when Fonzie finally got to jump over Jaws and the sharks. <laughs> yes. You're not wrong, and I it's an entertaining leap over a shark. <laughs> I actually always liked that shark episode, but <laughs> I think they missed an opportunity, though, because Owen Shaw is supposed to be like a doppelganger, like Roman is calling it out. Each member of Shaw's crew has a analog in Dominic's crew. And like, there's a white Hobbs, there's an Asian guy, there's an attractive African-American, there's a hot blonde, there's this female, ours is Paul Walker. But I think they missed an opportunity to really play up the evil Furious group. Yeah, because they're terrible. Luke Evans has absolutely no charisma, and he's not helped by this script, and we never know really what they're doing. They just kind of glower at each other. Because we're spending so much time at the Dom party, we never really understand what the bad guys are doing. If we see them at all, it's through the vantage point of Letty. And she doesn't know why she's there. She's an amnesiac that Luke picked up (laughs) of the operating table. And fell in love with. I like my women to not know anything about themselves. Yeah, they actually call her the perfect woman, the one with no memory. God. I don't feel like any of these films have done what they have the potential to do. There's a lot more potential in this film that it doesn't live up to. The fact that they're this doppelganger group. But yeah, you have the imports and the American muscle cars. You got the bad guys with their European Formula One racers. Like, that is like saying, okay, guys, this franchise is ridiculous. Let's just go for it. Like, we've had these two... Asia versus U.S. cars going, let's throw another mix in there. Like, how many different types of race cars can we get in these films? I'm excited to see what they bring up for seven. I don't know, motocross? Who knows? (laughs) Go-karts? Yeah, no, you're you're having the exact same thoughts I am, except I'm not reveling in that. (laughs) I'm actually like, what's next? They're going to jump on trampolines? I mean, like, what more can you do with a car? A car that's going to drive on top of a boat across the ocean? According to the trailer, I see cars that jump out of planes with parachutes. Yeah, I was about to say, they need to go to space, obviously. (laughs) Maybe they'll save that for eight. 
But no, this is the sign of a franchise that has lost its mind. I mean, <laughs> that it's doing all of this says we don't have anything else in the bag. You want to know why Justin Lin left the franchise? He could smell what's on the wind here. I think you're both right, if that, that's possible, is that I think Justin Lin knew he wanted to move on. He said he was asked back for seven and eight, and he decided he'd rather go because he spent almost a decade making Fast and Furious films. He'd like to make it his choice to leave instead of outstaying his welcome. But I do agree with you. He doesn't say it. I think that he's left it all on the stage. You know, this is his last hurrah. He's taking every idea he hasn't done before. He wants to up his game every time. We all gave Fast Five Green Arrows. We think that he upped it to the right level. He's now taking it to 11 because that's what he has to do. He's, he has hit the Nas on this film. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's a question of, do we go with him to this ludicrous area? But I'm sorry, in this first real chase fight, whatever it is, when Interpol is trying to take down Shaw, and I don't know if this was clear because I had to really go back and say what was going on here. Hobbs isn't working with Interpol. Hobbs is like a bounty hunter, pretty much, who beat somebody up for information. Interpol had the room bugged. So Interpol went to get Shaw, and Hobbs and Dominic's crew are just standing there waiting for Interpol to fuck up so that they can do what they do. You know, we can't have these guys become legit. They can't become legitimate cops or legitimate government agents. Working for the man sucks. They have to be on the outside. So Interpol has to be seen as inept. I mean, later at some point, they're going to imply that the people running the closed circuit televisions are in on it because they can never catch Luke Evanson's crew on camera. And so, yeah, they always want to just imply that these guys are above it all. Interpol are the jokesters. And they lose big here. I mean, they lose a building. I mean, it's kind of spectacular the way that Shaw, like, you know, we know that he's going to get away. He's very confidently working on his car when the guy they've bugged is walking in there and being like, hey, man, uh, how you doing? I mean, it's so obvious that guy's going to get killed. It's so obvious that Luke Evans knows how he's going to get out of this situation. But I couldn't have predicted it was by using every stick of dynamite in London. <laughs> And the flip car, though, that's the F1 car, Jacob, you're talking about. This thing is an amazing chase that it's just such a low rider. It's got like a nose almost touching the ground. So it gets under the wheels and flips cars. And there's a couple of them. He doesn't just have one. Shaw has one and his hot blonde has another. And they are just flipping cars left and right, trucks, whatever comes after them. And they're also bulletproof. Like, they have, like, again, Mad Max-style, like, sheet metal welded onto them. And even little, like, face-protective masks that he flips up so that his face will be protected against the cars they're hitting intentionally. This is a fun chase. I'm enjoying this chase through London. I mean, it's just an amazing visual to see these cars, even if it wasn't really London. The European streets, the backdrops, everything, the sounds, it adds a new flavor. I like that Justin Lin keeps taking us to new places. I'm enjoying the London street chase. Yeah, this is a fun chase. Again, we're world hopping here. I, that shocks me, too, that all these films, since four, we've gone international. Yeah, I don't think these are great chases. I don't believe in them. The difference is, like last time, the last couple movies, there was tactile qualities to the stunts. Here, it just feels like all CGI bullshit. I just don't believe a single image I've ever looked at. 
And yet, it's still real cars in a lot of this stuff. There are optical effects, but Justin Lin has always been adamant about using real cars and real stunts. Yeah, well, for some of this this early London one, it's so dark, I can't even really kind of see what's going until they get into the tunnel, really. I got a little bit of a Dark Knight vibe off of this. I mean, you mentioned that already, Stuart, but this was reminding me when you mentioned the tunnel of that Dark Knight Joker chase in the oh, Chicago yes. streets. And his the whole bat pod. I mean, I kept, I didn't know what this Formula <laughs> One car was, but I kept thinking that it was like I had a Batmobile Hot Wheel and like this is like the, the grown up version of that. But Letty is driving one of these cars. She sees Dom and shoots him in the shoulder and he doesn't just flick it off like a mosquito bite. He's actually semi wounded a little. Yeah, this was a surprise. I didn't know what role Letty was going to be playing. I thought maybe she would be the leader of this gang. Here, she kind of just looks at him and then does a non-lethal shot. So I'm like, okay, does she want to make it look like she tried to kill him? And yeah, we're going to find out she had amnesia. The whole time I'm like, okay, maybe she's still undercover. Maybe she's still working with the FBI to try to get... I I didn't know what Letty's deal was. The fact that it really is just amnesia is pretty dumb. I will give you that, Stuart. Do you know what her deal is at the end of this movie? She has complete disdain for (laughs) Owen Shaw. I mean, the whole movie, she's sneering like, you don't care about us. Like, when one gets killed, she's like... Oh, my God. Like, she clearly doesn't want to be a part of the gang. She doesn't approve of anything that they're doing. So why is she with him? I think he paid her medical bills because this was before (laughs) Obamacare. (laughs) It's London. It's London. They have free health care. There's no excuse. But she was in a coma in the States. (laughs) All right. Let's follow this through, okay? If we can jump around a little bit. Good luck, sir. Good luck following this one. Because Brian has so little to do in this film. They find out that Shaw has a tie to Braga, which honestly came out of left field. That a arms dealer in London is tied to a small time, was it heroin dealer? Yes. I don't know that he was small time, but yeah, he was bringing drugs over the Mexican border. Yes, a pretty local job there. He was running from like Tijuana to LA. He was not an international cartel kingpin here. I mean, he was brought down by a gearhead and a rogue FBI agent, after all, at a church. So it turns out Brian has to, they bring back the FBI agent Brian beat up in part four so Brian can beat him up again. I'm laughing at that. I wasn't sure who that guy was. And then once Brian started beating him up again, I'm like, okay, that's the same guy. I Again, this is dumb, Stuart. I'm, I'm going to give you that, but I'm laughing with it. I like that it's having these callbacks and that they're having fun with it. I think you're right, Jacob. I think this movie is self-referential. Why else would Brian go to prison under the name T. Bridges? Yeah, I saw that. What did poor Todd Bridges ever do to the Fast and Furious franchise to deserve this treatment? <laughs> That was mean. <laughs> what you talking about, Stuart? <laughs> oh, there are logistics that don't make sense. Like how? No, there's no logistics that do make sense here. <laughs> this is defies reality. They got Phoenix back to refilm the Letty scene. <laughs> so, yes, through a, a series of ridiculous convolutions that gets Brian back in a jail cell with a character we wanted gone two movies ago. And we're surprised he lived because they usually kill the bad guys. Okay, somehow he wasn't there, but he got the story from the assassin he sent. Let's rework the supposed death of Letty. I think he got the story from Shaw. 
what we find out is Shaw was Braga's boss. Braga was just a small-time drug dealer till Shaw realized <laughs> to think globally. He basically came in as a consultant <laughs> or a new CEO of Braga's drug empire. And so it was Shaw who knew because of inside intel as soon as Brian told Letty to go infiltrate Braga's group. Braga knew because Shaw told him. So the whole killing of the drivers that we saw in part four, that was not just the normal MO for Braga's team. They only did that when they knew they had cops doing the runs for them. And so they knew Letty was a cop, decided to shoot her, and I guess every other driver there. Letty runs off, and rather than shoot her, Phoenix shoots her. Her car. That was intentional. He was letting her go, but he still decided to give her potentially life-threatening injuries by blowing up the car next to her. I think he's trying to make it look like a natural accident. They didn't want to find bullet wounds in her. I don't know. No, none of this makes sense. Did they want her to get amnesia? I think he was trying to kill her via explosion versus via bullet. I mean, isn't your brain screaming right now? Don't you? I would have done anything to turn this movie off when we're in this flashback. This is so bad. This is terrible. This is soap opera bullshit. This is really... Amnesia plots should be reserved for daytime stories. You know, the soap operas. That is all... If you sit down and say, I'm going to watch my stories, you can watch your amnesia plots. (laughs) But that is where it needs to end. It's so rare and so hackneyed so that they say she has amnesia. Which they didn't mean for her to get. They meant to kill her. Yes. And then she is found and taken to a hospital where they go to kill her. Shaw apparently goes to kill her himself or something. Yeah, because Phoenix shot the car, but then he didn't go check the body. And her body blew down a hill. Yes. Yeah, it's a long walk down that hill. Then you had to walk uphill. (laughs) And he put... Some kind of charred meat there so that they think there's a body, but it's not Letty. Right. So, okay. And then the real Letty is found in a hospital. And and why does the guy come from London to look at her? Well, he might have been in Mexico. We don't know. He's international. But he goes there maybe to kill her, but finds out she has amnesia, can't remember a thing, and... Maybe he thought she had good driving skills. He does not really care about his crew. Maybe he just thought she was hot. But for whatever reason, he decides if she has no memory, she's no threat. Let's use her instead of kill her. It's stupid. It's fucking stupid. I'm I'm saying what the movie said. I can't go where the movie goes. At least she doesn't get her memory back. That would be even worse. Again, I ask, given the ridiculous convolutions that you just did to try and explain this did we really need letty back this badly was the twist of oh my god she's still alive the sting so good last week that it's justified the abuse we're now taking for them justifying it Ooh, that's a tough one because i love the sting i love the promise of letty coming back as excited as jacob was to talk about a tank in this movie I walked out of Fast Five going, damn it, I wish we were doing this retrospective because I am so excited about Letty coming back. So was the sting worth the sting? But Michelle Rodriguez is not excited to be here. She looks like this is like community service to stay out of jail. I mean, she'd rather be picking up garbage at the side of the road than being in this crew. I think that's just how she acts. She's like that in every movie. I don't know. I feel like this is your biggest complaint or maybe this. No, it's not my biggest complaint. I have I have a multitude. 
It is my biggest complaint. I will say that this amnesia storyline is my biggest complaint with this whole movie. It is ridiculous. For me, there's a lot of stupid here, but this is like stupid, stupid where they weren't winking at the audience. It was lazy writing. Like this isn't, hey, let's riff on soap operas. This is just what is the easiest way possible to bring Letty back and not have her know who Dom is. Again, I thought maybe she was still undercover with the FBI or something. That's a better way for her to, we've seen a lot of that where people have to deny knowing someone because they're undercover. But no, this amnesia thing, it's dumb. It's not going to ruin the film for me though i'm i'm moving on why wouldn't it <laughs> i guess would be my question is why are you so willing to go along with this what are you enjoying that the stink of this is not making you wretch i have enjoyed the chases the fights the humor sharks are cool water skiing is fun let's have some fun jumping over sharks in this this is doing that stuff in a not great way, but it's an entertaining way. So this fact that there's this dumb amnesia thing, I'm just moving past it. And I'm enjoying the crew back. I'm liking the interplay between Dominic's crew. I wish there was more interplay because they separate for a lot of this movie and go off on their different things. But unfortunately, one of the things they go off on is Brian going all the way back to the States, infiltrating a prison just to find out how Letty got amnesia and then coming back with absolutely nothing gained beyond that knowledge. Yeah, Dom doesn't even want to hear what he found out. I'm like, then why did he go? But my, you asked what my biggest complaint is? My biggest complaint is what they've given Dom's crew to do, what we are focused on. All of this other stuff I'm complaining about is stuff we're asked to not pay attention to. Don't look behind the curtain. Oh, it doesn't matter. The stuff we're asked to pay attention to is every scene, one of these chuckleheads walking into the room and go, tell me something. And someone goes, no. And so they beat them and then they get the answer. I'm serious. Literally, scene after monotonous scene are people going into pawn shops, are going to talk to some tech guy to design the super cool car, and then just basically putting them in a headlock and punching them until they tell them what they want. Here's the thing, Stuart. Yes, those scenes are monotonous, but I like what they're doing during those scenes, not necessarily the punching and that it's the same repetitive thing over and over. Like when they got to go find out who's creating this tech and there's a dude there with a harpoon again. And like Giselle's like, I'm going to go take care of this. And you get Roman and Han banter back and forth as they're talking while the women go and accomplish something. To me, it's those little moments. It's those jokes that you're getting that are working for me this time. This humor actually works for me in this film. Han gets the best line of the whole film. The best zinger is when Roman is like going, you got to give her a big rock or be big somewhere else. And Han just looks and goes, that's why your ladies wear so much bling. Yes. Best zing in the whole damn movie. Okay. Good going on. Go out on a high note. And they're not always doing that. My favorite subplot is when I don't know what Tej and Hobbs did to get, they drew some short straw to go find cars together because- I don't understand this subplot. <laughs> no. What the hell is this scene? And this scene does not work for me. You like this scene? No, no. Don't tell me you like this scene where they make the snooty British guy take off all his clothes. It's like Pretty Woman, the Fast and Furious edition. I love a it. A terrible movie. Yes. <laughs> a bad movie. I like Pretty Woman. <laughs> I think it's funny when they get, you know, the British guy, you're obviously not a baller. I think 
that is really some funny stuff going on there. That is, I mean, they're not beating anybody up, but Tej is spending like the $10 million he stole. He's spending it on the cars so that they can take out Shaw. Okay, well, this is helpful because I think for people that are wondering whether they should watch this or not, watch 10 minutes of it. If you're laughing, stay with it. And if you're not laughing, turn the shit off because it is not <laughs> going to get any better. You guys are saying this movie's funny. I didn't laugh once. Wow, I really like the interplay of the crew. I wish they were together more because I love the group scenes. They're all off on their own thing. I mean, we get another race because Dom shows up at a street race after beating up the pawnbroker. And Justin Lin did say on the commentary he was so happy this was the last booty short wearing race <laughs> scene he would ever film in his life. What is wrong with you, Justin Lin? Apparently, they're a technical nightmare. Like all those extras on the set, all the makeup, all the coordination it's not able to be enjoyable but all the ass cheeks too <laughs> that is true i'm sure he can get ass cheeks whenever he wants jacob he doesn't need to film them <laughs> but we get a race through piccadilly circus and again this to me is almost as good as that race through tokyo in the middle of fast three just all the different scenery they're racing through i've been to piccadilly circus you cannot race through piccadilly circus you can barely walk through piccadilly circus but i enjoy the race there I Question, why does Speedy Spice advise them not to bite the bait? I didn't even understand what that meant. I don't understand it, yeah. I don't know why <laughs> she said that. Yeah. I guess maybe that's a cool thing our English listeners could tell us. That's Speedy Spice. She's somebody. I don't know her, but she's like a <laughs> hip-hop star. She was not on that set. If you, you could very clearly tell the worst special effect of this whole movie is them blue-screening her in to start that race. Yeah, I just feel like this movie is populated by people that are saying things that make, this is who we are. We're family. Bite the bait. Like, it has no bearing on what's going on. They're just, do these shout-outs. It's almost like Zen poetry that they're, they're reading here. It's very <laughs> strange. But basically, Basically, this is the race between Dom and Letty in which I think one of them has to win, right? They don't even finish the race. They pull off and complain about why she doesn't remember him. Actually, Dom won the race. He did? Yeah. Yeah, he calls her out. You always hit your Nas too early. But no one was there to, like, make any money or anything. There was no one at the finish yeah, line. That no. was confusing. Okay, that's why I didn't think the race was over. <laughs> no, he won the race. Well, all right. After driving backwards. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, why nitpick when there are so many other things to be puzzled by? <laughs> when you have a festering wound, why are you picking the nits? Yeah, I mean, whatever. Okay, so he won the race. That means he gets to interrogate her. He knows her. He knows her scars. This is the a heart of the movie, right? We should want him to win her back. I would be fine with Letty being the bad guy. Can I just say, am I wrong to say I would have been fine if she was Shaw? In fact, I think it would be more fun to see that interplay rather than this amnesiac that's going to obviously go back to him by the end of this movie. I mean, yawn. Stuart, I'll agree with you there. I thought that's where this movie was going, that she was actually going to be the big bad, that we saw Brian as the good guy in that first film turn to understand Dom the outlaw. I thought maybe they'd do something similar here where they'd have that interplay between good and bad, but it'd be Dom and Letty. That would make, I agree with you there, that would make a better film. I am not asking for a great movie here. I'm fine with B-movie trash. I've given green arrows to this series, but this thing is doing everything it can to be boring and monotonous and not make the right choices here. We want to see Letty versus Dom, right? We don't want this 
this pathetic, I'm an amnesiac and I don't know if I like you kind of crap. I kind of like her as part of the crew. I want her to come back for the next film. I like Michelle Rodriguez in these movies, except for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, don't tell me this is a finest moment for her. I think anything she's done. I liked her in one and four as briefly as she was in four. I even liked her in that horrible Vin Diesel directed short. (laughs) She was the shining part of that. So if she's the bad guy, I want to see her turn good at the end. That's what I'll say. I don't want to see her be the villain that blows up in the plane. Okay. I would be fine with them doing that way. I think it'd be more interesting. I think she would have more fun doing that because when she does get her girl-on-girl fights in, that's really the only time you can be rooting in her corner. That was a great fight between the two females. Oh, I love that fight. That gets dirty when Letty bites. (laughs) Yeah. And- the girl who plays Riley, she's a real MMA fighter, and she's got some thick thighs, so, I mean, muscle thighs. When she gets Letty in that sleeper hold, I think Letty's going out. It is a great fight. I also like the corresponding fight with Han and Tyrese against a ninja. <laughs> yes, where they just get owned. At no other time in this movie do you care about. She is an object to be passed around. She is not a character. I will say this is stretching my patience, though, because we have talked about the plot. We've talked about a couple of the races. But understand, we are now about 90 minutes into the movie. And it's been a fairly long 90 minutes, especially with this whole Braga thing where Brian doesn't really accomplish anything. He went all the way to the States and beat up his former partner and comes back. For, and Dom's like, I don't care. Don't forget he also beat up Braga. We, we, he had several people to beat on and then come back. And yeah, it didn't matter. This is the Christopher Nolan legacy, I feel. We saw it in Skyfall. This is the Joker villain. We find out Shaw's the Joker. That's the hint that Braga leaves. Like, no one gets close to Shaw unless he wants them to. That's like Brian finally pieces that together. Does that mean something? Shaw is the supervillain that is able to orchestrate everything. So even when you think you're fooling him, you're doing exactly what he wants. I want to point out something that should be screamingly obvious to any child. (laughs) Shaw has been attacking caravans the whole time at the beginning in moscow he attacked and got the peace from a moving transport they don't need any kind of mystical braga cone poem to explain (laughs) the fact that he's not going to attack the spanish base he's going to attack the caravan that is friggin obvious and why would you even move the part if you knew he was coming you wouldn't Hobbs is an idiot in this movie. I liked The Rock so much last time. He was so charming. And here, all his moves, he's a complete yutz, this whole movie. It really does undermine him that he had to go to Dom. And like, coming back to this movie, I thought it was the plot of Ocean's 12. I thought that the villain in this one was somehow tied to the villain in the last one. And so he wanted his money back and this crew had to do something and come back together because there was a gun at their head. The whole reason for them coming together, Hobbs, who has been such an egotist, you know, and was so fun last movie as that egotist, needing them, this whole thing. Uh, The only thing I'm enjoying is what's Jacob citing as the interplay between them and the jokes and the one-liners and the action scenes. But anytime they're trying to move a plot forward, anything related to Shaw and his crew outside of Tyrese's pointing out the doppelgangerness, this is really painful. And I'm really trying to decide if, if this is the worst Justin Lin film has done. 
Here's the thing. I don't think the blandness of the villain here, the way the middle of this film is stretched out, I feel like that's been a problem with all, even the Fast and Furious films that I've recommended, four and five, like, they get thinned out in the middle, and the villains aren't very compelling and do a lot of stupid things. Like, I don't know if this is any different than those. This has those same weaknesses. All of them have been silly, yes. But some of them have been Octopussy, and then some of them have been Moonraker. And this is as bad a James Bond movie as you could imagine, really. I mean, that's the problem. Is not that they made a silly international spy caper. It's that they made the worst one. I mean, this thing with the tank, don't tell me this is a good chase when they're on the road and they're swinging off. Oh, shit. You want to talk about the tank? I'm watching this military convoy. All of a sudden, a tank busts out of it. I don't know why there's a tank inside a military truck with the microchip in the tank. That is one hell of a Russian nesting doll there. (laughs) Hold on now. Let me... I have another question. How did Shaw get in the tank inside the convoy he's trying to hijack? (laughs) We see them crawl up on there. Who who knows? But that tank busts out. I'm, the juxtaposition of your fast Japanese imports versus a tank. It's just like when you have militarized F1 racers. This thing has gotten so crazy. I'm enjoying it. And Shaw becomes this crazy, not even a Bond villain, a comic book villain who's going to drive against traffic and kill random innocents for fun. He's not in it for the money. He's going to just kill because he's in a tank and he can kill. I mean, do you know the body count he must have incurred on this thing? No, it's clear that, again, much like in part two, where I was alarmed at those trucks like running over cars where clearly no one survived that. We see a lot of that here. There are a lot of people that are out for a Sunday drive that aren't going home. This is Spain, a country where they let bulls chase after them, so... I love the people who are smart enough to jump out of the cars, though, and at least flee their cars. Those are the smart ones. The ones who stay in the car are the ones who get killed. It felt very G.I. Joe when I saw people leap to safety. Yeah, I don't like the action. I just want that to be clear. I love the way Justin Lin filmed the action last movie, and this is crap. The way that this looks and the swinging and the jumping and all of that, it's CGI crap. It's the kind of thing you guys usually will destroy a movie for. But for some reason, and I'm thinking it must be because of these jokes, you're laughing and not throwing rocks. If the Wachowskis told these kind of jokes, you would be loving Jupiter Ascending. Uh, yeah, if my Kunis could only have as much personality as Letty does in this film, that would have been a huge improvement. <laughs> I think she's pretty close, actually. But <laughs> I, Listen, I'm going to split the difference again, though. I think this is decent action. I'm enjoying the tank. I do like it, primarily for the lines as much as anything, when the tank is riding up on Roman's ass, and you, you do wonder. Again, Tyrese Gibson, like the best part of this film, maybe, which is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Somebody call Tyrese and see if he wants to do the forward for our book because he just got the biggest acting compliment in his history (laughs) he's at least funny his jokes work for me now yeah he's good in this but the action itself is par it's not bad justin lynn still brings a kinetic level to it they're embracing in love landing on hoods not knowing if cars are going to be there this is as bad as movies get can i just point out cars are not a good landing pad you do not wish to (laughs) land on a car (laughs) 
speeding at 90 miles an hour on the Autobahn. Yeah, this is terrible. I'm laughing, though, because that is so ridiculous where, yeah, Vin is, like, driving his car, jumps across, like, a gap in the freeway to catch Letty, only to land on another car. That's silly. I'm smiling. It's over the top. What's really groan-inducing is, like, how did you know the car would be there to break my fall? (laughs) It's all faith. Just got to have some faith. I'll tell you, Jacob, you say you're laughing. I remember being in theaters at this moment and seeing Dom leap from a moving car, catch her in midair. I'm like, he's just fucking Superman and he's flying, landing on a car. We have called him Jesus. I I had this big scowl on my face. My arms were crossed. I'm like, that's literally a bridge too far. (laughs) It just ends on such a sour note. I'm not even sure how they capture Shaw. They like tie a wrecked car to the tank. And he decides to let it go over the edge, and Letty flies off. He decides to kill Letty. None of this is making any sense to me. Why is he now killing Letty (laughs) after she's been bitching, like Stuart pointed out, the whole movie? Why in the middle of a tank chase? Here's why, Arnie. Best line of the movie. They're like, they got a tank. Forget about plan A. We need a plan B, C, D. We need a whole new alphabet. Like, they say they're improvising. That's probably what the script writers are doing, too. Maybe, but I enjoy seeing a tank run over cars. I enjoy seeing racers try to stop a tank. But the way it ends is so abrupt. There's a leap through the air, and now the chase is over. That It seems to be like Shaw could very easily get away now, and they need to- The tank was flipped over. I think that what we're supposed to understand is that Letty was caught in the middle between Dom and his doppelganger, and now she's chosen a side. So that's what kind of ends it, is Letty's choice. You know, she's going to be with Dom, and so that leaves Luke Evans to- stew and and plot his comeback it's not really her choice one tries to kill her the other risks his life to save her there's not a huge choice (laughs) hey man i'm not stopping to look at all the carnage that is on this plot i mean it is ghastly how many awful things are on the road here i will say i thought this was the end of the film i thought they were setting up the next film they bring Shaw in. he's like i got something to tell you like you're gonna let me go now because i've got mia i thought that was gonna be the end of this film because this film needs to be shorter. I'm going to admit that. I thought that would be the cliffhanger. It was. This was the climax of part one when this was a two-part movie. Well, I'm glad they didn't stretch the last 20 minutes of this out to an entire Oh, my God. The plane chase was going to be the end of part two. And, of course, they would have had all three pieces, and they would have had the complaint that you're talking about. They would have fired the snook or whatever the hell. I knew you were going to say snook. (laughs) I didn't know what it was called. Nightcrawler? What's it called? Nightshade? Nightshade. Whatever it is. They would have had all of that climax atop climax. I couldn't have taken it. Honestly, it would have broken me. I mean, as it is, when we have this airplane runway that goes, I mean, literally, that plane is just going with every car under the sun dragging behind it. I mean, this is eternal. We got to get there first. And I need you guys to help me understand this. I can't. So Shaw knew he was going to be captured or at least felt there was a chance. Because he's the Joker. And so he sent some goons to capture Mia. Not Elena or the baby, just Mia. Well, I think they're trying to get them all, but the baby gets handed off to Elena. She runs off. I don't know. Yeah, but they get Mia. But they then put Mia on the plane, which is coming in to get Shaw. (laughs) 
So Shaw says, <laughs> "I have no idea how she got there. Did they invent teleport? Maybe the nightshade like is a teleportation device? Because no, they said they said the nightshade would turn off. It's an EMP. It's the pinch from Ocean's Eleven. It just turns off all the lights for a country." So that Shaw could cause carnage. It's a, a terrorist weapon. Admittedly, she's in the Canary Islands. That's not far from wherever they're in Spain. I mean, that is off the coast. So in theory, it's only a couple of hours. But yes. And by plane. Yes. This is really stupid. It's weird that Elena didn't have time to pick up a phone and call them. <laughs> let them know, hey, Mia's been kidnapped. You know, they just didn't want to have a baby in danger. And and aren't you glad? I mean, wouldn't that be awful to have a baby being thrown around here in the climax? True. But it would have been nice for Elena to have something to do. <laughs> Maybe she could have an extended chase with the baby or something. Maybe she can go back to Rio and have a real movie. Shaw says, let me go and give me the chip. Of course, the real cops, the Spanish cops, Policia... Obviously, are like, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Hobbs pulls out a gun, puts it to the head of the Spanish police and says, no, you will let this international terrorist with his horrible doomsday weapon go. (laughs) Hobbs, let's stop there and just take a moment of silence to bury the character of Hobbs (laughs) and anything you liked about him, because he just did that. Stuart, worse than the amnesia plot, this is the thing that probably bugged me the most is this comes out of nowhere. Why is, as much as we asked, why did Brian turn and help Dom after that first one? Why does Hobbs like let a terrorist go? Like he doesn't have a bond with him over muscle cars. It's like, oh, I'm just going to let him go all of a sudden. Dominic has a way about him that he will turn any police officer (laughs) to his side. Elena, Brian, Hobbs, if you are a cop, you will just fall under Dom's spell. Okay. But this isn't Dom. This is Shaw that he's letting go. I I don't know. Maybe he wants to go after Mia and try to get some. Right. Letting him go to have like a device that could, yeah, seriously kill millions. So Shaw says, if I even see you in my rearview mirror, I will kill her. So after letting him go, what they immediately do is chase him to the (laughs) runway. Because these people have to be in cars. Let's face it. This is why they're hired. You don't bring them on to not have a car chase. But Tej, he does. Does he use Nightshade or does he use some other device? He cuts out the communication so Shaw can't make the call. He cuts off the all cell towers in the area. Couldn't he have done that without letting Shaw go? <laughs> Maybe Shaw had to make a call to let him know he was going so they wouldn't kill her. But he's trying to make a call to say, kill her, I'm free. It's all kinds of nonsense here. So she's on the plane. I thought she'd be back in her villa, but no, she's on the plane. They get to a runway, and then we get a big action scene with fighting and punching and cars jumping, and it's a lot. And honestly, I'm exhausted by this point. The tank took it out of me. I don't have it in me for this extended second climax. It's like... You want me to go again, baby? I I need a little more time to recover first. I'm 40. Look, I'm ready to go again. My problem is it's dark. It's too dark. I can't see the action. I Yeah, there's cars hanging off the wings. I wish better lighting have it happen during the day, not so late in the evening. I wish I could see more of what's going on around this plane. It's just so dark. My I'm tired because my eyes are straining trying to understand what's, what I'm seeing. I'm just praying for it all to end, and and it won't. It just won't not. It will not. It takes years for this movie to come to an end. 
It is absolutely agonizing. Yeah, once you think, oh, Brian's going to take on the big German guy. Nope, now Dom. Nope, now Hobbs. Now, I mean, like, <laughs> please just pick one. Dom does a flying headbutt that knocks a guy back through a wall into another guy. Yeah, it's awful. And of course, the girls are having the girl fight. We haven't mentioned the fact that Riley, haha, was a double agent. I didn't see it coming. I'll give him that. I didn't care. Yeah, neither did I. Neither did the script that (laughs) Justin Lin made it up on the set and told the actress, oh, by the way, you're going to be evil now. (laughs) What did I tell you? They got a whole new alphabet to improvise this. Yeah. But yeah, what the biggest surprise for me, though, is Giselle. And probably part of the reason is because it's a PG-13 movie. Like, they imply that she's dead. She falls from the plane. They don't show a body. I don't know. Maybe she'll be the teaser at the end of the next week's film. She has amnesia. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, with what they've done here with Letty, you need to show me a body every time. Now, I need to see it. I believe at the end of this film, Han is dead because we saw him blow up. But no more flashbacks. No more off-screen deaths. You have ruined that trust. Yes, for me, that... Han's death is kind of what tells me that I, uh, at least I think Giselle is really dead because he's, he goes back to Tokyo finally. Yeah, I couldn't believe they killed Giselle. She died saving him. She had to choose. She knew she would die, but in her dying act, she shoots the guy who's about to kill Han. It's a nice moment. I wish I cared more about Giselle in this film or any film. I care about her death because I care about Han. Yes, and I care about their relationship, and I want to see them. They're basically one character in this movie. So when you see one die, it was a little bit sad, but you don't care about her as a character. She does not get the screen time of a Tyrese or a Tej or a Rock. If you're looking at this cast and saying you're going to kill one, she's the Agent Coulson, right? They make enough Avengers references in this. They call the Rock Captain America, the Hulk, and the Samoan Thor. Well, she's... Coulson, who's going to take the spear. They kind of telegraphed that they had to get rid of her. If we are ending in Tokyo and they keep talking about settling down, I mean, this is, again, you talk about soap opera, the couple that they just one more job and they'll settle down and have the happy life. Well, of course, one of them has to die. And since we know Han has to get to Tokyo Drift and we ne- he didn't have a girlfriend when he was hanging out with the Southern guy, then, yeah, I mean, obviously, she had to die. So it really wasn't that big of a surprise. Well, I didn't expect Tokyo Drift to come after this film, though. You've you had didn't? a successful team. No, you've had three films where you've built this team that's making tons of money for the studio. Why would you get rid of Han and Giselle? I think you'd carry them on, have them go back to Tokyo much later on in this franchise. Because Justin Lin is leaving, and it's obvious that Han was his guy. I mean, he he brought this guy on from his first film, and so by leaving, he's taking Han with him. I, I think it makes sense. As far as Han's death goes, I mean, what Lin said in the commentary, and I never would have thought this, because I thought I knew how they got Vin Diesel back for part three, but Vin, he needed more than just the rights to Riddick. Justin Lin had to go to Vin Diesel's house and talk with him at length and spell out for Vin how Han and Dominic were great friends and they were like family. And so when part four came around, Justin Lin's like, yes, we need to put that on screen, what I told everything for Dom. So he knew this whole time that we were going to get back to Tokyo. He teased us in Part four, Han's like, I'm going to go to Tokyo. At the end of part five, Giselle's like, I thought we were going to Tokyo. And Han's like, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. 
Lynn knew what he was doing with this. What he didn't know what he was doing with was Shaw and the rest of this plane climax that is just ridiculous. Yeah, we can agree. And and that's why nothing else from this is part of the stinger at the end. Yeah, that we end up in Tokyo Drift is kind of funny because in the opening credits clips of all the old life greatest hits, they didn't even mention it, I guess, because it hadn't happened yet. I thought that was very clever that they left out the one that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, so now, yeah, that's kind of where we end up. All right, so Jason Statham is mad. Do I need to care? I got to say, he shows up. I'm excited for the next one. You can't be. I don't know who he is, what he does, but it's Jason Statham. He's ruined his rep. I agree. When he first came out, he seemed to have some cool, there was something good about the guy, but now he's just another Van Damme. Like, he has done too many shitty low-rent action movies to be much of a grabber here. I mean, he's better than Luke Evans, I'll give you that. Are they brothers? Is that what they're hinting at? Yes, this is Shaw's older brother is what the trailers for Furious 7 tell us. Okay, I had a feeling since they were both British and had a similar quality about them, but I don't care. I like Jason Statham. I like the Transporter films. I like the Crank films. He has made some shit, but I'm excited because The Rock had made some shit too, and then he was redeemed in this franchise. Not by this movie. Well, let's find out. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend... Furious Six, Jacob. No, I refuse. I'm I'm going eating first. I want to say grace. I have a prayer, and that is that Fast and the Furious Seven has to be better than this. It has to be better than this because this is too awful to endure in a movie theater. If I had been bombarded by this in a movie theater, I would have walked out. And they have to fix this franchise. It defies the very notion that if you make things go fast, it's exciting. This movie is infernally boring. Justin Lin has embarrassed himself on the way out. It's very clear he didn't know how to top himself, so he turned in self-parody. And I mentioned it before, but when I look at this, this feels like one of the most ridiculous Bond movies. This feels like when Roger Moore went too far, when he went to Moonraker and nearly ruined the franchise there. They can come back from this. I don't have a lot invested in Fast and the Furious to be like, oh, it's ruined for me forever. I never wanted it. But they can do a lot better than this. And I'm glad Justin Lin is gone if this is the shit he's going to turn in. Hopefully, the new management can see the error of their ways and get some focus back to what is, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to say it. It's the worst one yet. This is worse than Too Fast, Too Furious. Strongest of not recommend. Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm taking on the Stuart role. I can't say amen to your prayer, Stuart, because this is the best one for me. We are at what? opposite ends here. <laughs> yes, this look, you're saying you don't really care about this franchise, but that was an impassioned speech. I don't really care about this franchise either. And I think I care about my sanity. That's what I care about. <laughs> well, I think that's why this one was so much fun for me, because it was a, a self-parody for so much of it. The humor works better. I mean, some of it not just because it was a parody, but just Tyrese Gibson, he got some comic timing in this film blew me away that he was doing jokes i was laughing with instead of at this time the action pretty good action like i feel like still that train heist is still the best thing we've seen i don't know if they'll ever top that but i i love that they're bringing in different kinds of racing cars for the villains now they, they got their formula one racers that are all tricked out and yeah i love that there's a tank at the end of this to me again jumping a shark actually is a pretty cool thing like that would be amazing thing to do in real life the sharks are all going to have cars in the next one i think (laughs) 
if there are sharks driving cars, I'm all in. <laughs> but no, I like look. This one's fun. It's got humor. It's got some fun action, some fun fights in here. Yeah, this is a ridiculous plot line, but I feel like all these plot lines have been pretty dumb. They have lots of plot holes. They've all kind of lagged in the middle. So this has the same weaknesses as all those other ones, but where it's stronger, it's an improvement. It, the comedy's better. The, the action, well, it's it's more consistent in this one. It's just not just one big action piece, but throughout, the action's all pretty good. So for me, this is the best of the franchise thus far. It's a recommend. Well, settle the fight. Come on, Hobbs. Come in the middle here and fix this. And I am going to come down the middle. Oh, all right. It has to be a color. You can be mild one way or the other, but it has to be a color. I'm on pins and needles. This is the worst of the series that I'm going to give a recommend to. Okay. (laughs) I win. Yeah, that was uh, some Tokyo (laughs) drifting there between your reviews. I got to (laughs) say. I really had to wonder. When I walked out of this movie, I was like, what the fuck was that plot? But I still had a bit of a good time. It's better to me than part four, which had equally as stupid a plot with Braga. Just keep Braga away. Anytime Braga (laughs) shows up, shit is going down. Anytime the drug dealers, part two, you know, two and four were the ones I didn't recommend. And this one, this one's really close to four for me. Really close. What makes it worse than four is honestly the amnesia storyline and Hobbes. So why am I giving it a green arrow? Mm. Tej and Roman and Giselle and Han and their interplay. You guys really felt like they did something new with those characters they didn't do in five other films? Yes, they're funny in this one. I thought they were funny before. I thought they were funnier here. They're they're at their funniest in this movie, according to you guys. Yes. yes. Okay. Honestly, I mean, I think poor Tyrese was given the piss poor job of playing minstrel to a shitty plot. It's like Justin was on set. Tyrese, we need you to be funny. And this is how they work. Is He's like, Tyrese, say a joke. And Tyrese ad-libbed something. I think Justin Lin knew they needed that in this movie because they had nothing else to go on. This, I agree, though. I'm glad Justin Lin is gone. He has given me my favorite movie in this franchise with Fast Five. Sure. He gave me, you know, a really good one with Tokyo Drift. You know, a fun one. Not good as in, you know good filmmaking but a fun entertainment experience but honestly i think it's time for someone new at the helm and so i'm going to let this one have the like god it's almost like reen or gred you know it's like (laughs) right there i'm gonna the arrow is green it's a weak recommend it's because you're the fan of the series that you're being kind if you were more blasé about the whole franchise you would see how awful this was it's the goodwill is blasé about the franchise and this is his favorite yeah but he likes when things go awful i mean all they need now is for nick cage to come sauntering in here oh that would be amazing Stuart. That would be amazing. I, I hope that's the stinger. They're bringing <laughs> Kurt Russell into the next one. Yes, oh, playing Nick shit. Cage. That sounds amazing, too. He's in our opening credits, Jacob. He's your line. That's Kurt Russell. Didn't realize that was Kurt Russell. <laughs> it's going to be great. So, yeah, although I'm not sure if going to James Wan is the answer, a director that I've not really liked 
we're going to get a lot of cut off limbs in the next one or something. <laughs> yeah, this is it's an unusual choice. I mean, did they just go to the nearest Asian? Yeah, you you do wonder. It was was there some racial politics here? Like, <laughs> I, was it a good luck token? But no, I mean, James Wan making Insidious. I like the first Insidious. I, I like the second. He has some skill, but yeah, I wouldn't necessarily think that anything he's done proves he's got a great car chase movie in him. Especially thinking about that car chase in Saw. That was Ooh. the worst car chase in film history. <laughs> Listen to that review in the archives. We all, Marjorie Jacob and I, laughed our asses off at that bad car chase. I just hope he has Justin Lin's adherence to practical stunts and we're not just going to go watch Spy Hunter the movie. But I agree. I think some of these car designs are great. It was around this time, I think, they came out with the Hot Wheels line for these cars. So I did wonder if there was a toyetic thought with the tank and the flip car. But it's not a good movie. But if you enjoy these characters, there's something in it to enjoy. I'm glad they got the crew back because it was universal. They're like, we're going to have the next movie out the next year. You have 12 months from... Just no concept to film on screen. And The Rock had to bow out because he was going to go film that bomb Hercules. Oh, he's not in the movie. Well. I've seen him on the poster. He's Yes, he is. But he wasn't going to be. Oh, they've had extra time to shoot. Now I'm remembering things. Okay, right. Yeah, unfortunately, oh, I, Honestly, I, I know that that was what we talked about right at the head, but I had forgotten about Paul Walker. Yeah, they're going to have to deal with that next week, too. Yeah, I think Justin Lin is probably honestly breathing a huge sigh of relief. Not only has he moved on to direct Star Trek, which actually may be a riskier franchise to take on at this point, but also to see that he doesn't have to deal with the aftermath, both emotional and film-wise, of Paul Walker's death that he's probably happy about that. I haven't heard anything on the record, but yeah, we're going to get that next week. The Rock does return because of the extra filming time. James Wan, I had read at the time that it was the one year he needed a break. The Fast and Furious movies were taking it out of him, but according to the commentary, he always knew this was his last. Maybe it was just a negotiation tactic and there wasn't enough money, but... I'm not sure it's his last. I think when Star Trek Three bombs, I think he will be back to do Part 8. <laughs> On the bonus features for Furious 6, Vin Diesel's there like, Furious 9, Furious 10. <laughs> and I was just thinking, oh boy, we're going to be doing one of these a year, aren't we? Yeah. This could be the next Bond. Yeah, the sun's going to grow up. You wonder, like, will the sun, like, be driving? How early are they going to get him behind the wheel, the little baby? I did wonder, honestly, if Furious 8 would be Fast and Furious The Next Generation. It, they're going to have to at some point. I mean, all these actors, at some point, they're going to need to refresh. And yeah, maybe that's what's going to start to happen next week. We'll pull a Tokyo Drift and bring someone else in. Well, they're actually going to bring people back. Some of the Tokyo Drifters return next week. Oh, good. I, I was wondering if Lucas Black is going to show up. Yes, Lucas Black is listed in the credits. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I'm kind of interested just because I've had to get invested for this. I want to see how it all comes together. <laughs> you see, I told you. It was the <laughs> continuity that made this announcement in the series. It'll be so great when Braga's in the backseat, like backseat <laughs> driving and everything. They'll just rework everyone in from the old movies. Where's Eva Oh, let's never go back to two. <laughs> she was in five. She was in my favorite one. <laughs> well, all right. I'm not looking forward to it, but I am looking forward to being done with it. And we will be next week. For at least a year. And you might be looking forward to 
Indiana Jones, then? Yeah, let's talk about the schedule, because I don't think we've given enough airtime to what we're doing after Fast and the Furious. We've been so focused on our very successful Kickstarter campaign and all the things that we're doing, we haven't mentioned the fact, to those that didn't donate, that we are going to be doing, for the spring 2015 donation drive, a whole lot of Spielberg. And yes, I am very excited. I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to see what we've got for silver gold and platinum donation level yes for silver level we're going back to our old method it's ten dollars for a silver level donation and you get five movie reviews i'm starting to learn to never say never first we're reviewing super eight as the (laughs) kickstarter reward and now i had gone on the record the retrospective series i would not do is our silver level donation. God, I'm doing it cheap. $10. We're reviewing Raiders of the Lost Ark. But since there's only four of those, we're also reviewing the rip-off spin-off Goonies. Yeah, and to be clear, just so people understand, the reason why you never wanted to do it is for one movie, that fourth Crystal Skull movie, right? Uh, you never want to end on a downer. Yeah, I always like series that at least have a chance of a happy ending. Like Fast and the Furious. Yes, or an Asian <laughs> massage, either one. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all of them again. It's been a long time since I've seen any of them, including Crystal Skull, so I'm maybe not as poisoned against that. And we're doing that because it does seem like a good tie to our gold-level donation, Jurassic Park, leading up to the theatrical release of Jurassic World. We'll be doing Spielberg's original Jurassic Park, the less-loved The Lost World, the possibly more loved than Lost World Jurassic Park 3, and the new, interesting-looking Jurassic World with Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy. I've seen Jurassic Park once. I've seen none of the sequels. I, you know, a Spielberg fan, but this one was not one that I ever really got into. So I'm a little more excited, actually, that we're also doing the Michael Crichton movies that inspire Jurassic Park. Michael Crichton, of course, wrote Jurassic Park, the novel, and he tried it out about a decade or two before hand in Westworld and Future World. HBO is going to be turning that into a new TV series. We're not covering that series. We're covering the movies that were first inspired by Michael Crichton. Westworld, Future World. It's about a theme park that runs amok. It's just not dinosaurs this time. It's uh, Yul Brynner. Yes, so that is six movies at our gold level donation. And then Keeping with Spielberg, we do have a platinum-level donation. We're opening the vault for Poltergeist because the remake is finally coming out after being pushed back a couple of times. I think we thought we were doing this, like, last spring. Yeah, it was February. The the date has moved. I'm not going to take that as an omen. I'm going to say that they have confidence that this can compete with some big summer movies, and I don't know. I feel pretty good about it. Poltergeist is very special to me. Marjorie is also someone that loves the original Poltergeist, but she wasn't so keen on those sequels. We're going to be releasing those original shows. I'm hoping it's a love fest when we get to the remake. I'm happy that it's Sam Rockwell. I like Sam Rockwell in everything. So yes, that will be our $35 platinum donation and our donations are open now. And in case anybody's out there thinking, guys, you just made a whole lot of money with Kickstarter. Yeah, that's not our money. That we detailed it out where that money's going. That money's going to make a book. This is money to make the podcast. Yes, two different things. So this is our standard donation drive. And we hope that you want to hear those podcasts. They are going to be coming out about one a week. 
and we're running this donation drive through the end of July. So head to nowplayingpodcast.com, click the banner at the top to go to our donation page. $10 silver gets you Raiders and Goonies. $25 gold gets you Jurassic Park and Westworld Future World. $35 platinum gets you all of that with Poltergeist. And we're also going to have some great stuff coming up just for free on the regular show. In two weeks, we're going to be doing Spielberg on the main feed. Yeah, that's to launch the Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're, same week, we're going to do his car movie, Duel. It was actually designed as a TV movie, but it was so good, they released it in movie theaters. It- Overseas, yeah. It's the preamble to Jaws. There's a lot of similarities between it and Jaws. And yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and and seeing a car movie I know I can get behind. There's also a lot of similarities between it and Jeepers Creepers. We'll talk about it in two weeks. But it's really just idling the engine between car franchises because we have Fast and Furious ending and then Jacob Mad Max begins on April 21st. So excited for Mad Max. I think I've referenced it a ton during Fast and Furious. Mad Max is going to do it better, though. I would hope so. And it looks really good. I've never seen a Mad Max movie. I've seen bits of them. Oh, I can't believe Like, that is the original. We'll talk about it. But that first film, like, that was, until Blair Witch, like, the most successful indie movie. I can't believe you've never seen at least that first one. I've even seen all three. Twice. I think the one I hear to see is is Road Warrior, but I'm that's I the second see, one. Yeah, I want to see them all. Really, even Tina Turner, all of that stuff, and definitely the new one. Oh, Tina Turner's amazing. The new footage on the on this trailer. Normally, I'm kind of you know, you see enough trailers and none of them look that special. But I, I got to say, there's some real fire to this Fury Road. I, I think it's literal looks, fire. To yeah, it. yeah, it looks really combustible, and I can't believe that a 70 year old man is directing this movie. Take that, Ridley Scott. And speaking of fire, after we finish Mad Max, we're going to go back to King with Firestarter, the combustible Drew Barrymore film, and that TV sequel Firestarter Rekindled. Yeah, I can't wait for that. And Cujo. Yep, Cujo's coming. And then finally, to kick off the end of summer, dun, 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 Yes, Mission Impossible. We've done James Bond. Let's see what I guess is the American version, right? Or are they international? Honestly, I never saw the TV show. I've never seen any of these movies. I So many new franchises for you this year. Stuart. It is. Can Tom Cruise, Ving Rames, and Simon Pegg beat Tyrese, Ludacris, and Paul Walker? <laughs> hmm. I, I, I have a good feeling that they, they got a real shot at it, and I'm open to it. Believe me, after what I just endured, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a real spy team. Plus, we have a lot of pickup shows in the summer. Of course. We're going to be doing weekend of release shows, Age of Ultron. Of course, all the Marvel stuff. Ant-Man, right? That's the one they really want. Who cares about Avengers 2? <laughs> Give me Ant-Man. How about Fantastic Four? I think it looks good, people. I think it yeah. looks good. I can't believe that there's so much hate against this. People must know things about the plot that I don't know. But when I saw the trailer, I was expecting the worst. I did not want to go to back to this wing of the Marvel Universe. But I don't know. It looks like a Christopher Nolan movie. How about Terminator Genesis? I think that's where we flip. I'm actually excited because I think that trailer looks really good. Oof. And I think you are shuddering at the thought of Arnold's return. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I get to sit that one out. Yeah, that's not going to help. I, I can honestly say that the Terminator franchise, I didn't recommend all of them, but I didn't think that they had gone in the toilet. When I saw Arnold coming out there and, and saying, I'll be back, I mean, that 
that was not encouraging. That was a threat. That was a takedown. And uh, I'll go in with an open as mind as I can, but Arnold in a movie in 2015 is not something to look forward to. He's already said he'll be back for the two sequels to this already. He signed on. But will the financiers? That's the real mystery. And finally, we'll be finishing off Insidious Chapter 3 this summer. So a lot of movies coming out. I'm going to also say the last one in August, more Arnold with Running Man. Yes, that's true. I am looking forward to revisiting that. I saw that when it was originally released. I've never revisited it again. It's actually one of the Arnold movies I remember liking from the 80s. There's very few of those. So all that's on the main feed, Raiders, Goonies, Jurassic Park, Westworld, Future World, and Poltergeist on the donation feed. We thank you for your support. If it wasn't for donors, again, the Kickstarter, it doesn't get us doing this weekly show. It's donors that pay for the website. It's donors that pay for the bandwidth. So thank you for your support. And that's all at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And we're going to be back next week. We're going to be in theaters this weekend watching Furious 7 because that's how we roll. Father, thank you for the gathering of friends. Father, we give thanks for all the choices we've made because that's what makes us who we are. Let us forever cherish the loved ones we've lost along the way. And most of all, thank you for fast cars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You tell your boss exactly who did this. Tell him there's more coming. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another Fast and Furious movie review. You gotta get out of here. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more movie reviews, including Pitch Black, Rambo, RoboCop, The Avengers, and hundreds more. You say what? This just went from Mission Impossible to Mission and Freaking Sanity. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You're in. There's always room for family. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Like a whole lot of vaginal activity to me. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Nice See exclusive videos and interviews on the Now Playing Podcast YouTube channel. You can find the link on our homepage. I'll see you soon, Toretto. Your pockets ain't nervous. Ours are empty. We hungry. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. You got the best crew in the world standing right in front of you. Give them a reason to stay. You can give money by clicking the support link at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. You don't realize how much you appreciate something until somebody takes it away. Everybody take a real good look. This is what you call mutual respect. All right, let's clear out. Anybody down for somebody? Now Playing's Fast and Furious series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. Let's put all this mess back together. That's going to take a while. Then you better get started. 
Now playing credit narration by Brock. Why me? Because you got the biggest mouth. That's for damn sure. Now playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures or the makers or distributors of these films. The film discussed in this podcast is the intellectual property of its copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You see, I got a problem with authority. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just because you know how I ride doesn't mean you know me. Show me how you drive, I'll show you who you are. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Money will come and go. We know that. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Right here. Right now. Salute me, familia. and I'm loading my notes. I've lived this that music has been nothing but the soundtrack in my house for like 3 days ever since I'm like fuck we're doing raiders every goddamn bonus feature is scored to that fucking theme. I I it's like water torture now to hear it. Well, you only got 3 more weeks. <laughs> Telling maybe Bane is just saying the aristocrats. <laughs> that would be amazing. Someone do that dub and put it on YouTube. <laughs> That's a two percenter if ever there was one. <laughs> <laughs> Dom is living in Spain with new girlfriend Elena. Elsa Petask Elsa with new girlfriend Elena. Literally, scene after monotonous scene are people going into pawn shops, are going into camera stores, are going to talk to some tech guy to design the super cool car, and then just basically putting them in a headlock and punching them until they tell them what they want. As an aside, when did they go to a camera shop? Yeah, I don't remember the camera shop. Or I, I meant, I meant the, the, the CCTV. Oh, okay. And he so, breaks the guy's hand for, for yeah, not... Yeah, they, they pull the Ocean is Eleven car buying trick. The Policia? Is that... Federales? No, that's Mexico. What was it who called... Policia. No, who, what, what were the federal agents called on me in Spain? Um, what were those called? We weren't in Spain. I was in Spain, um, and the federals were... Yeah, the, you want me to call Policia? I call Policia. Yeah, Policia. Spy Hunter the movie. Wait, they made Spy Hunter the movie, didn't they? I don't did think they? they did. They've talked okay. about it. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> then that's what I'm afraid we're going to see. $10 for civil raid... Civil? civil. <laughs> $10 for a civil Shepard Rivers retrospective. <laughs> what, chances are... What, what was uh, those Bogdanovich movies? I like Chances Are. <laughs> that was her, right? <laughs> yeah, with Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> 